Well, as just kind of a recap uh, through um, our last, this last series, A Cloud of Witnesses, it's been this docu-series, kind of like uh, if you guys have watched any kind of documentary, I'm a documentary junkie, so if, uh, I love watching documentaries, and, and this is kind of a documentary on all these different amazing men and women of faith, patriarchs of faith, and just amazing um, stories of faith. And so every week, we started this in the beginning of June, every week we've been highlighting somebody and just, just seeing the, the way that God used them in their life and just made them men and women of faith and, and called them to do something great, and, and God gave them the... The, uh, and just equip them with the tools to do something great for the Lord. And so as we think about, like if you had to put together your own hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the hall of faith. If you had to put together like your own hall of faith, your own Hebrews chapter 11 with all the different men and women of faith, all the different stories, the different patriarchs, all the different people, your favorite Bible characters, your, um, just the, the, the best characters of the Bible, Uh, that's worthy to be mentioned in the Hall of Faith, I don't think our character this morning would make any of our lists. I don't think he would have made any of our lists. In fact, I think some people in here, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the story of Cain and Abel. But the crazy, amazing thing is that Abel is on God's list. He may not be on my list, not on your list, but he is on God's list for for a reason. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Just a small story that Hebrews 11 captures of Abel and his offering of faith being more excellent than Cain. Why is this such a significant story? As we look back at this simple offering, the simple heart of faith, the simple heart of worship that Abel offered to God, why would God put this in his hall of faith, put this story in Hebrews chapter 11? Because even what the verse is saying is even as Abel is dead, his legacy still speaks to every single one of us. Why would he put such a significant story in here? When, uh, many of you guys know that um, I just had our first baby. We had our first baby girl, baby Ella James, as my, my daughter. You guys were, some of you guys were here at, when we dedicated her on Sunday morning, and it's, uh, she is just the, the biggest blessing. And, and uh, she just turned 18 months a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, we're right now she's in such a really fun um, area of life where we're teaching her all these different things, but we're teaching her right now showing her affection, somehow showing her affection in different ways. Um, like uh, we're trying to teach her to say, I love you. And, uh, but the funny thing is, is she doesn't know those words. She hasn't really said, I love you, but we always tell her, I love you so much. So all she says is much when she wants to tell you that she loves you much. And, uh, and just randomly, she'll just be like much. And we're like, oh, we love you too. So cute. And uh, we're teaching her to share. Now she thinks that sharing is when you take something away. So she'll say share and then take it away. So she's still kind of learning that. But uh, we're really, I'm trying to really teach her how to give her daddy a kiss. I really, really want her to give me a kiss when I ask for it. And uh, so I've really uh, been asking her, I would say, Ella, give, give your daddy a kiss. And normally this is what happens, <laughs> which is just not fair. 
But I'm trying to teach her and teaching her, say, give daddy a kiss or give mommy a kiss or even some of her family members, when they leave, give them a kiss. And, uh, and sometimes she does listen, though. Sometimes she does listen and she is able to give her daddy a kiss. But um, the times that it means the most to me, uh, there's these special moments that we have with her where we'll be sitting down without any context, no asking her, nothing. She just grabs my face. And she turns me, she turns my, my head towards her, and she just gives me a little kiss. I know I could literally explode. It is the cutest thing ever. I love it so much. But this is where, what, as we kind of look into this story, this is the, the story of Abel. Abel's offering was genuine. It was from his heart. It was almost really no context of any other kind of offering given or worship given. This is the first mention of an act of worship, an offering of worship from Abel from his heart to God, genuinely from his heart to the Lord, offering up his heart in love and appreciation and adoration. It was out of faith. You guys remember that old song, The Heart of Worship by Matt, Med Matt Redman? You guys remember that song? I mean, it was on like, you guys remember Wow Worship? It was on like 15 of those albums. So it was really popular at the time. And uh, The Heart of Worship, Matt Redman, when he was, he was at a specific conference, it was like a youth and young adult conference, and the pastor was speaking. Um, this is before he wrote this song. The pastor was speaking, and he was talking to the students and saying to them, um, what if all of this stuff, Matt Redman was leading worship for the, this conference, and he said, the pastor said to all of them, what if at this moment, if we stripped everything away, if we took away the lights, the stage, the worship music, all of the different things, could we still offer up a heart of worship? Could we still give God our worship? Without all of the different things, without everything else, could we offer to him simply just our hearts, a true heart of worship as an offering of faith. And so Matt Redman, hearing this and just being so moved by this, he wrote the song, The Heart of Worship, when the music fades and all is stripped away when I simply come. And then the, the chorus endeavoring each person worshiping, I'm coming back to the heart of worship when it is all about you. Even as a worship leader myself, I'm a worship pastor here, if you don't know me, at Calvary Chapel Las Vegas, and I've been uh, leading worship here for almost 13 years now, and, and this is, oh, praise the Lord, thank you. This is, this is the question that even my, my own heart is after. Every single week, can we get after the heart of God? Can we offer to him, not just on one specific Sunday or on just one special service, but every week can we come together to offer a heart of worship? What would that look like? What is a heart of worship? Even Bob Coughlin in his book, Worship Matters, he says this about a worship leader. He says, your greatest challenge as a worship leader is what you yourself bring to the platform each and every Sunday, your heart. Worship isn't primarily about music, techniques, liturgies, songs, or methodologies. It's about our hearts, end quote. We can learn a lot from Abel's story, this first mention of worship, this first act of worship in Genesis. And we're, this morning, we're going to look at three points on giving and offering of faith. Three points that we can find in Genesis chapter 4. So swing over to the other side of the Bible, Genesis chapter 4.
Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. going to read the story together this morning. It says in verse 1, Now Adam knew his, Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Man, what an interesting story. And, and see what I mean. It's such a small story of just this act of faith, this offering of faith. Even Abel, our, our man of faith here in, in Hebrews chapter 11, we don't even get a word from him. We're not, even, not even a word is spoken by him, just simply this act of faith, this offering of faith. There's a lot of speculation and debate on why Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was not. Even though we have that commentary in Hebrews chapter 11 about it, that Abel's offering was in faith and that's why it was excellent and accepted. But some commentators and scholars, the, the debate and the speculation is, but what's the real reason? Why was Abel's offering accepted and Cain's rejected? And so uh, some of them believe, a lot of scholars and a lot of um, commentators believe that one, it was because one was given as a blood offering and the other one as a blood sacrifice, the other one as a grain sacrifice. So Abel's was accepted because his was a blood sacrifice. Cain's was rejected because his was a grain sacrifice. Their, their foundation here, go with me on this, but their foundation here is Hebrews 9.22 where it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And so they think that maybe this was a foreshadow of things to come, that Abel's was offered as a blood offering and Cain's was offered as a grain offering, so Cain's was rejected because of that. Maybe even the speculation goes even deeper where maybe um, God even gave Cain and Abel a specific like um, instruction on how to bring their offering, how to bring their worship, and Cain just disobeyed. 
But I think all, a lot of this, one of those things might be true, but I, I do believe that um, even just more of Scripture gets shed some light on this. Leviticus chapter 2 talks about how grain offering is actually accepted before God. And so it's not just blood offering, it's not just a blood sacrifice, but even in Leviticus chapter 2, a grain sacrifice is even, uh, is even um, acceptable before the eyes of God. So I think if the, if the most important part of this story was what was given, either a blood sacrifice or a grain sacrifice, I think the author would have been careful to mention it. But notice the ambiguity here where he is intentionally leaving that part out and says that one was given because of this, one was given and rejected because of this. The Lord even rebuked Israel for their heart condition. If you go with me to Isaiah chapter 1, you don't have to go there, but I'm going to read it to you this morning. As Abel was offered in faith, Cain not in faith. God even rebuked Israel for the same thing, for their heart condition. If it was so important, if it was a blood sacrifice, if what was being sacrificed was so important, notice this. In uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of um, lambs or goats. When you come uh, to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. Man, strong words from the Lord. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. God rebuking the Israelites for just giving a sacrifice without any heart towards him. Their hearts not set on him, and all they were doing was just these meaningless sacrifices, even offering their prayer, gathering together and praying. And God says, I see your heart, and I don't want any of those things anymore. All of those outward things, those sacrifices and the Sabbaths and the blood of rams and lambs and all of the different things that you're offering to me, I see your heart. Your heart is not in it, and I don't want it any longer. But then God extends his great love and forgiveness to the Israelites, really using the very similar language to what he had expressed to Cain in Genesis. He says in verse 16, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, and plead for the widow. And he offers his cleansing if they would only, in verse 18, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow." Our first point this morning, if you're taking notes, God desires our faith-filled offerings, not our blood-stained traditions that are faithless. God desires our faith-filled offerings, not our blood-stained traditions that are faithless. Man, we can get so caught up in what the sacrifice is that we forget about our hearts. 
Man, I need to go to church. I need to do this. The tradition of church or going to services or even getting involved in a home group or whatever it is. How do we do church? What it looks like. We can get so caught up in what the sacrifice is that we forget about our hearts. We even compare or become judge, uh, judgmental, judging other people because of what they bring or how they bring it. Justifying our own sacrifice because it looks better than theirs. Well, my sacrifice looks better, mine sounds better, or whatever it is. I even get this as a worship leader. I wish you guys could see some of the emails that I get of how certain style of music is better or how like the old songs are better than the new songs. Man, I wish you would just do those ones. Really, the, the heart of God is in the hymns or in these old songs, which are all great songs. I'm not saying that. But we're missing the heart. Missing the heart behind the sacrifice. God desires that our sacrifice, no matter what it is, comes from our hearts. It's faith-filled. And even as we look again in Genesis 4, though there is ambiguity, though, though the author is intentional about being ambiguous, he does, though, share some specific descriptions as Abel's offering had some unique characteristics that Cain's offering did not possess. Go back to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4. The author notes this, that Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Very unique characteristics, the firstborn of his flock and he brought of their fat. Now, how many of, he, uh, how many of you here are sheep herder? <laughs> None. Okay, me as well. So this one kind of goes over our head a little bit. That's okay. What this culturally means is that the firstborn of the flock was his most prized possession. It was his most prized um, livestock. And even bringing of the fat. Now, how many of you guys are steak eaters? So you got that one down a little bit, that the fat is like the best part of the meat, right? It's like the most expensive, most valuable part. So culturally, this description reveals that the material of his offering carried a significant value. It was his most prized possession, his most valuable possession. Abel brought an offering that was prized and valuable, juxtaposed to Cain, who chose to bring items of no significance. They were simply something that he had owned. But notice, God didn't honor Abel's sacrifice because he liked steak more than he liked salad. So God's not just like a carnivore lover and he's like, I love steak, don't like salad. But as Abel gave his faith-filled offering, it cost him greatly. Faith-filled offering from the heart, faith-filled offerings that are truly from our hearts will cost us greatly. There's something that is of worth to us, something valuable to us. Real worship will cost us greatly. But don't miss the point here again. It's not about the material. It's not that Abel's meat was worth more than Cain's salad, even though it might reflect that on your bill. It wasn't that it was worth more than Cain's. It was that Abel's offering was worth a lot to him. It was something that was valuable to him. A common thread runs throughout scripture of those who brought offerings accepted by God. Those who brought something accepted by God offered that which cost them greatly. You guys might remember some of these examples. There's Hannah who offered her son, Samuel. You guys remember that to the Lord in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. 
There was the woman who poured her alabaster flask of very costly oil on Jesus' head in Matthew chapter 26. That's also mentioned in, in uh, Mark and Luke as well. Mary, who poured very costly perfume and anointed the feet of Jesus and washed his feet with her hair in John chapter 12. And even the widow who brought all that she had, which was only two mites, and two mites was like pennies, but it was all that she had. She didn't have much. She only had really pennies, two mites, and offered it all to the Lord in Mark chapter 12. There is something amazing that happens when a follower of Jesus offers to God that which costs them greatly. Though it may even seem of little to no value to someone else, again, what God sees is your heart. He sees your heart. It may be worth of no value to somebody else, but it is so valuable to you. What are you offering to the Lord? The widow's offering wasn't less valuable than the rest because it was only two mites. In fact, her faithfulness and worship was just as valuable because of her heart. What is valuable to you? What are you holding back maybe from the Lord where you think, Maybe it's, your, maybe it's your time or, uh, or something like that. Man, Lord, you can have the rest of the, you can have Sunday, but the rest of the week is mine. You can have Friday and Saturday, but the rest of the week. Man, what is valuable to you? What are you holding back that, God, you can have all of this part of my life, but this part right here, I need to have control over. This part right here, I don't know if I'm ready to give up yet. Our second point this morning, your faithfulness, no matter how small, is seen by God, remembered by God, honored by God, and leaves a legacy. Your faithfulness, no matter how small, is seen by God, remembered by God, honored by God, and leaves a legacy. Man, that for me, just as we have our, um, our daughter, uh, that, that is kind of a new one for me, is leaving a legacy for my daughter. How do I leave a legacy that is going to speak to her? How do I make sure um, when, I, when I'm dead and gone that she looks back at my life and goes, man, he left a legacy for me. Worship your faithfulness as a legacy that will last for decades. It is a legacy that is honored by God. Even Abel here, he didn't speak a word, and yet his legacy lives on for thousands and thousands of years where we're learning from it this morning. He being dead, still, it still speaks. What worth is it to you to offer? What worth is it really to offer something to God that costs us nothing? How much more valuable is it when there is pain in the offering? Oh, Lord, I don't know if I can give you this, but I'm going to trust you with it. Man, Lord, this hurts. I don't know if I have the finances to do this, but I'm going to trust you. Man, Lord, I don't know if I have an ounce more of energy, but I want to give it to you. God, this is all I have. It's not much, but I want to give it to you anyways. This is the best I have, and I want it to be yours. Don't be mistaken, though, this morning. The cost of true worship doesn't necessarily need to have a monetary value tied to it. Our worship may have monetary value, something that is worth something in our eyes, but it also may be some other great value, like our time. It could be giving up our time. God, I want to give you this time, the rest of my week, whatever it is. It might be our vacation time, which is, I mean, we worked for that. That's a hard one to give up, our vacation time. 
might be our praise and our singing. It might be our obedience. It might be sacrificing for simplicity of life. It might be our silence, which often is for me, just shut your mouth and listen. <laughs> but as Abel offered an excellent, valuable sacrifice in faith, the value of our worship is not in what is given, but how it's given. It's not what is given, but how it is given. Even look at what is even when you look at what is given, the value was not even in the presentation of the offering. Notice that. God accepted Abel's bloody mess over Cain's beautiful arrangement. There was no like Traeger pellet like barbecue here that Abel was like just making sure the steak was just right before he offered it to God. Uh, and it was just, he slaughtered it. Can you imagine this? He slaughtered an animal and just offered that to God. What a bloody mess that must have been. Have you ever been to a, a salad bar at a buffet and how beautiful it looks, even though it may not taste as beautiful, but it at least looks beautiful, right? All the colors and all the different things, but the presentation was not what mattered to God. He accepted Abel's bloody mess over Cain's beautiful arrangement. There may be some of you that sing better than others. That doesn't make it make their worship mean more. We've got amazing singers on the worship ministry. Amen. We've got amazing worship. Even this morning, it was a beautiful, sounded beautiful. But just because they sing better, maybe, than you doesn't mean that their worship means more to God than yours. And I, I mean, you may sound terrible, and believe me, some of you... Like, I don't know if you guys remember, or if you guys know, but like these mics are what we hear. I mean, some of you guys can sound like coyotes and trash compactors. I'm just saying, you may sound terrible, but God sees your heart. He sees your heart expression of worship when you sing, not the melody or arrangement of notes. He wants you to bring your best to him. And so it may sound worse to everybody else, but it is beautiful in the eyes of God because your heart is behind it. Not the arrangement of notes, but your heart is behind it and you're bringing your best to him. And each of these stories carry a similar principle. The worshiper brought something of great personal value to them, offering it wholly to the Lord as an act of surrender, just as Abel wanted to give his best to God as well. Jesus even said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And though we believe that what we offer to the Lord pales in comparison to what he has offered to us, though we believe that salvation doesn't come through acts of giving or accumulated value of gifts to the Lord, the desire of the Christian should be to offer their best to God. Abel's offering of faith had begun in his heart. It started in his heart. It was full of love for God, but out of that heartfelt abundance, Abel's devotion was expressed through the act of worshipful giving. Today, the value of, of a Western Christian church's cultural impact often is determined by a few things. The style of music, if it sounds like this or looks like this. The impact is often determined by the number and popularity of published songs, to how many songs have they written, how, you know, what charts did it hit, and how many listens do you have on Spotify and all that kind of stuff. 
Maybe it's often determined by the number um, of converts added into a metrics database, how many people have gotten saved or baptized or whatever. Sometimes it's determined by the value of the building, what it looks like, how valuable the building was, if how many seats are, are in the building, or even the prevalence of a social media presence depicting people worshiping God or depicting what your church looks like. But there is danger here that we can be so focused on the extension of worship We can be so focused on the instrument of worship. We can be so focused on the material that we are worshiping God through, the metaphorical meat or grain offering that we have missed the essential message of what is in the man's heart, what is in the woman's heart. Our third point this morning, if worship doesn't begin in our hearts, the outward expression is worthless. If worship doesn't begin in our hearts, the outward expression is worthless. If the worship of God has not first begun in our hearts, full of love for him, there's no point in expressing something fake outwardly. There's no point in expressing just to, just to do the things as the Israelites were doing in Isaiah, just going to church, just you know, singing the songs, But how beautiful is the outward expression of worship when the heart is set on Jesus? The church must not lose sight of this goal. When the church loses sight of this, her buildings, her songs, her metrics, her expressions, they're empty and worthless. If we lose sight of the heart. Warren Wiersbe in his his commentary on Genesis chapter 4, he puts it like this. Quote, the fact that people attend religious meetings and participate in church activities is no proof that they're true believers. It's possible to have a form of godliness but never experience its saving power, 2 Timothy 3.5. He quotes from Isaiah 29 and Matthew 15, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The most costly sacrifices apart from the submission of the heart can never make the worshiper right before God. The way of Cain is the way of self-will and unbelief, end quote. All of what we do for God is simply an expression of what's going on inside of us. It's our instrument to give God praise of what is really happening within our hearts, Everything we do outwardly should just be merely an, express, an expression, an extension of what is going on in our hearts filled with love for him. Any of you guys have ever given a bad gift to somebody that you really love? Like a spouse or fiance or girlfriend or boyfriend or a family member? My wife and I, when we were dating... Um, when we were first dating, you know, for me, I'm kind of a sentimental guy. So um, throughout the year, I'm like uh, trying to listen for notes of, of things that she likes. So as we're shopping or whatever, oh, I like that or I like that shirt or whatever. I literally like will take pictures. I have like a folder in my phone that's like gifts for Nikki for the rest of the year. And we have like a Pinterest that we like uh, put our gifts on there that, of what we want. So we can make it special and things like that. So throughout the year, as we're shopping, as we're doing stuff, I'm always like trying to listen for those cues. Oh, she said she 
she liked that and all this kind of stuff. So we're shopping this one time as we were, and my wife's birthday is right after Christmas, so it's really hard, where it's like, what is a Christmas gift and what is a birthday gift? Anybody out there that have that same problem? Like, what is Christmas? What is birthday? It can't be as much as Christmas, but it should have some more meaning than just a Christmas gift, because it's her birthday. You know, it's a, it's a struggle, I bear. But... As we, were, as we were walking, uh, and, and uh, I'm hearing of different things that she likes, I'm thinking of her birthday gifts, and I have a couple of different gifts, but I hear something, and she's like, oh, I really, I really like that. And so I'm like, ding, I'm going to get that for her. And uh, so I buy this gift. I set up all these you know, different things. I have like a little basket, and I give it to her for her birthday. Now, the gift was a welcome mat. She really liked it, though, she said. <laughs> and now, just a little context, too. She doesn't even own, like, a house. She still lives with her parents at the time. So it's like, where is she going to even put the welcome mat? Like, in front of her door at her parents' house? Like, what is... I don't know what I was thinking. But I thought, she's going to love this gift. So she opens it up, and she's like, what's this? <laughs> I'm like, it's the welcome mat that you said you wanted. She's like, I said that? <laughs> I don't remember saying that. You know, she was very gracious to me, and she, I think it, it even became like our first welcome mat at our house when we, when we got married. So she was very gracious and loving to me. And that's what's so amazing about true worship and true devotion to God. He accepts anything that is fully from our hearts. Even the, the best thing that we can do, Isaiah talks about this, the best thing, our, even our own righteousness is like filthy rags to God and he still accepts it. We can bring, hey, God, this is all I have. It's just two mites. This is all I have. It's worth nothing to you, but it is worth everything to me and I want to give it to you. This is from my heart to you, an expression of love from our hearts to him. Which means whatever we do, our jobs, our passions, our hobbies, our season of life, we can have an attitude of worship in the midst of it. It's not just singers that are worshiping. It's not just the musicians that are worshiping. I'm looking at a room right now full of worship leaders, full of worship leaders that, in, in, that are in all different areas of life, different career paths, and all of these different things, and you can have an attitude of worship in the midst of whatever you do. Whatever you call work, whatever hobby you have, whatever is a passion of yours, you can have an attitude of worship in the midst of it. Colossians 3.23 verse, uh, through 24 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Did you know that in your career path, you can serve in your career. You can work in your career as unto the Lord. Not for the paycheck, not for your boss or for the company, but unto the Lord. Did you know that this morning? That whatever you do, you can do it as you are working for the Lord. Brother Lawrence, who was a monk in a monastery in France, who he served as a cook at this monastery. He called it practicing the presence of God. And in his book, this was a journal that he kept that they made into a book. He talked about even the, the career that he was in at the monastery, cooking and cleaning the dishes, that he would have such an experience of worship in that moment that he would experience the presence of God even more than his own prayer closet. Like, imagine that. 
that in the midst of working, he had more of an experience with God in that time than even when he was just by himself in the prayer closet, practicing the presence of God. Worship leaders are needed in every field of work. You can serve God with what you do. It can be done as an offering to him so much that you can have an experience with God. You can experience his presence. It's not just, you, you don't you just need to work on staff to have that kind, of, that kind of mentality. You don't need to just work on at a church or at a church organization to experience the presence of God in what you do, anything construction, administration, cooking, serving, whatever it is, being a stay-at-home mom, anything that you are doing, the season of life you're in, you can have an attitude of worship. In another book called Real Worship, Warren Wiersbe defines worship like this. Quote, worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body. This response has its mystical side and subjective experience and its practical side and objective obedience to God's revealed will. Worship is a loving response that's balanced by the fear of the Lord and it is a deepening response as the believer comes to know God better, end quote. Worship needs to begin in our hearts and our expressions should stream out as beautiful, powerful, vibrant rivers. Even this building that we're in, and we have been so blessed to be in such a beautiful building, but even this building is an extension of our worship. The things that happen up here on stage, the things that we are doing, our services, all of those kind of things, it's an extension of our worship. Worship doesn't begin and end here. It should simply be an expression of what is already going on in here, in our hearts. It could be a place, this room can be a place where worship begins again. Maybe sometimes we get through a week and we're like, man, just I had a terrible week this week. I can't wait to be with the body of Christ and to experience his presence again. That can begin here, but we're reminded about what is going on in our hearts through the rest of the week, where we can take it through the rest of the week with us as we leave this place, that his presence is with us that it is an extension, an expression of our hearts. Every aspect of this building is an extension of our worship. So even the worship up on stage, when, as, we're, as we're preparing for worship, our heart, to, as we prepare the different songs and all of these kind of things, our heart is to give our best to him. And it's an extension of what is going on already throughout the week. Like even for myself, if I'm not worshiping the Lord by myself, it would be foolish for me to come and lead worship if I'm not experiencing it on my own. And every, there's, there's times as we're pre, you know, preparing, like this is the heart of the worship team that is preparing every single week is that they're trying to bring their best to God. Just as Abel brought his best, just as Abel was, 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 was concerned about the value that was given to God, I want to bring my worth, I want to bring my best, that is the heart of every single worship team member on the stage. There's some of them that have come up to me over the years that have said, hey, uh, like there's, uh, I'll, I'll mention him because he's, he's here in the middle of the room, he's going to hate that I mentioned this, but Danny who plays electric guitar up on stage is a shredder, right? He is a shredder on guitar, you guys know him, and his thing is to bring his best to God. There are singers here that, that ask me, is it okay if I sing like this or sing this run or do all of these things? I'm like, yes, bring your best to God. 
It can look like it's a presentation of, oh, we just want, but it's not. It's not a presentation of that. We want to give our best to God. It's an extension of our worship to him. You guys know the production team in the back. They're all hiding behind those like little monitors in that, in that booth. And there's a, a room that they're preparing the streaming online and things like that. The production team, some of them, I mean, some of them do play instruments, but like Izzy, but some of them, what you see right here, the LED screens, the lights, and all of the different stuff, all the different production elements, this is their instrument. This is their instrument of worship to God. They're bringing their best to God. It's not just because we can turn on lights and just because we can have an LED screen or videos or things like that. Man, they want to offer. This is, this is my artistry for you, God. This is my best that I, that I can give to you. It is, it's an extension of their worship, their instrument that they play for the Lord. Even in the back as they're preparing for, for streaming and, and all the online streaming, how many of you guys have been blessed by being able to, to, to uh, um, log into the service or to watch the service live when you're sick or when you're out of town or things like that? You might be watching right now, sick or out of town. And there is intentionality of capturing what is going on, the presence of God that is falling in this place, capturing that and being able to put that wherever you're at, whether you're working or at home, if you're sick or around the world and in, in experiencing the presence of God in that way. We have our coffee shop, which every, every cup of coffee is made with just the love of God. It's an expression of their worship to every single person to be able to worship God in that way. We have our welcome and information team. It's not just just to say hello to people, to try to manipulate an experience. They want to welcome people with, with the same love of God that's been welcomed to them, that's been given to them. They give information to each and every one of us so that we know how to, how to grow in our faith, how to walk in our faith, and how to, to grow in our knowledge of him. We have our facility members who clean this property, not to just you know ch check off a task on their list of, yes, I cleaned and vacuumed, but they want to create a space for people to worship God and experience the presence of God. I was a janitor for a while, and I remember just the times of, of vacuuming a room and just having to wrestle with this thing of nobody else sees this, but God, you see it. You see what I'm doing. You see what my heart is in this moment. I could totally just cut corners and do whatever I want, but you see my heart. And the facility members, they all operate in the same way. We have our follow-up team that come up here that help lead people in their, their walk with the Lord of how to take those first steps of faith. It is an extension of their worship to God to see, Lord, you help me walk in my faith. I want to help somebody else walk in their faith and, and make those decisions and wrestle with the different problems that is going on in their life. And we've got our children's ministry and student ministries that is all an extension of worship as they help kids from a young age, our babies and our kids to learn how to to follow God, how to worship God, students that are learning how to follow God and how to worship God. I was a, a student in youth ministry that my youth pastor reached out to me and showed me how to do that. It is all an extension of worship. This, what is going on in this property is merely an extension. It's simply an extension of worship, an expression of our hearts. But no matter how excellent in form, style, or performance the worship may appear outwardly, as far as God is concerned, it can never outweigh the authenticity of a heart. It can never outweigh the authenticity of a heart that is fully turned towards him. 
Even this building and the things happening in it can become worthless when our hearts are not set on him. Even that all of the different things that we try to do, the services and all of these different things, if my heart, I could sing the very best I possibly can, if my heart is not set on him, it's worthless. It's empty. This room could be full. If our hearts are not set on God, this room could be spiritually empty. It begins in our hearts. God sees our hearts. When Jesus went to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, verse 23 through 24, he's leading her in this as, as, as he's teaching her how to be a disciple, as he's teaching her how to worship. He says to her at the end of their dialogue, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit, and in truth. God is looking for authentic worship. God is looking for pure worship. He's looking for an offering of faith, a heart of worship. And even from the very beginning, from the first offering that was ever recorded, his heart has not changed. He is looking for worship that is faith-filled from the heart that costs us, that is our best, that is a true expression outwardly of what is happening from within. He is seeking a true heart of worship. Amen? God, thank you so much for your word, Lord. God, we just want to surrender to you. We recognize, Lord, this morning, we recognize, God, how important it is for our expressions of worship to reflect what is going on within our hearts. We don't want to bring anything that is fake. We don't want to bring anything, Lord, that is just a, we're just doing it to do it. God, we want to bring true worship to you. We want to offer in faith. We want to offer our sacrifices in faith. So God, would you bring us to that attitude once again? Would you bring us to that posture once again, that posture of surrender? Offering our hearts to you, God, we don't have much to give. In comparison of what you've given to us, God, there's not much we can give that would even come close to comparing to that. But God, we offer it anyways. Whatever we have, God, we offer to you. Surrendering to you, Lord. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.